I have a glowing orb. Obviously. Obviously you do. <laughs> it's it's a uh, foot in diameter. It is large. I stroke it and I change its colors to, you know, red or lavender or green, depending on my mood. It hangs out with me all day. It's great. Is it like a Dragon Ball Z orb? Yeah, sort of. I mean, if you've seen the pictures of President Trump in Saudi Arabia, <laughs> where he was hanging out with other people, touching an orb, it's basically that orb. But it's helping you get through this week, though. Yeah, I mean, I don't agree with the president on many things, but on orbs, I do agree. <laughs> he's, They're really important. He's your, he's your orb homie, huh? <laughs> you know, if you have someone in your life that you, you know, do not agree with, about anything you know there's always something that people you know everyone has a mom right everyone should have an orb (laughs) (laughs) i would like i mean if i were running for president i would say everyone deserves an orb in addition to their pandemic bailout checks you would also get an orb in the mail it cured my depression so (laughs) that and the prozac so together they're really good for you uh, hello, people. This is the Extra Spicy Podcast. I am Justin Phillips. And I'm Salejo and Orb. <laughs> and on this episode, we speak with editorial photographer Oriana Corin. It's a meritocracy if you're a white person. But if you're a person of color, there's no amount of merit that is going to get your colleagues, decision makers, editors to treat you with basic human decency and respect. I really like Oriana's work. I first saw, I think, some of those photos in this really great California Sunday spread, which we do talk about in the interview. But also, Oriana was working on Baja California, this really great cookbook that came out earlier this year. There's an aesthetic that is so um, super saturated, super... um, I guess I, I am not an art person. I cannot describe pictures, but I like it. It's pretty. I think most people just see food photography as pretty pictures of cheese poles and shiny cakes and glistening meats. So talking to a food photographer for this show felt really nice to reveal everything that goes on behind the scenes, you know? You've done so much food photography that I still remember. I'll remember on my deathbed. Soleil, that's a big compliment. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus, thank you. Yeah, we could talk more about that too. But um, just generally speaking, like how do you, like what are the issues present in food photography and like how do we actively push up against them as people who are both consumers and creators of of that work, you know? This is such a such a smart question. And it's something that I, as a photographer who works primarily in the food and travel space, have been trying to figure out for myself over the last five years. So like the short story is there are, a ton of issues as it regards to image making in the food and travel space. And I think that that is kind of part and parcel with the work that I do because at least over the last handful of years, we finally had some fairly robust conversations about things like gentrification and cultural appropriation, how immigrants are being treated in the in the kitchen, how women are being treated in the kitchen. Do chefs have too much power? Um, But one of the things that I've come to recognize that we don't really talk a lot about as someone who is constantly creating food media is like what role food media plays in um, the sorts of challenges that are present in the space. And I know for myself very early on, I got very weirded out and very concerned that food was being 
essentially sort of like classified as a form of a social currency versus a necessity that we all need. Like we need sustenance in order to do the things that we do on a daily basis. And that was getting so far removed in, um, in food media. And then like, I play a role in that because I'm also taking pictures <laughs> of these places and or these people who are pulling us further and further away from a more human understanding of what it means to essentially feed someone and, and keep them healthy. Right. Um, so on that spectrum of humanness, when it comes to food or just essentialness or, you know, however you want to phrase it, how do you even think about that on a visual level? It's kind of tough. And I think... I think it's something I wouldn't have thought about had I hadn't had I not had very specific um, experiences. So I'm actually a retired wedding photographer. That was my entryway into food. In order for me at the time when I was shooting weddings to be a good wedding photographer, I couldn't just be good at shooting weddings. I had to be good at documentary photography, photojournalism, um, shooting interiors, shooting portraits, also shooting food because details were a thing that a lot of soon to be married folk were very concerned about as it regarded to like getting their weddings in blogs and magazines. I had always had a love for food. Um, I had an aunt growing up who was a journalist at the Sun Sentinel. I grew up in South Florida. My mom is a Haitian immigrant, so I was eating West Indian food. My father's family is from the Mississippi Delta area, and then they scattered across the country. So I'm also eating black migrant food. Um, and it wasn't actually until about six years ago, my partner and I left Chicago to live with family in North Carolina. And I was finally getting to introduce him to Southern food. And I was really stoked about it because all of the Southern food I ate growing up was amazing. Um, but we ended up constantly eating really bad food. And it wasn't until we ended up at a barbecue spot in Durham that I'm forgetting the name of that I finally was like, oh, my God, babe, this food is really good. He even noticed the difference. And I remember us sitting talking and just trying. I was trying to figure out for myself. I was like, what is the big difference here? And the big difference was it was the first time we were eating Southern food that was being cooked by black people. And that's when I was like, oh, there's something afoot here. So that led me into a very deep dive of how are the contributions that black people have made to American cuisine, how is that being erased in real time? Because this was also when a ton of white male chefs were winning like best chef of the South award for the James Beard and other places. And I historically growing up never saw white men or white people in the cooking spaces where I was eating Southern food. It was always black women. And that just made me realize, I was like, oh, there's a whole nother layer to shooting food. It's not just about making pretty pictures or making, you know, a chef's dish look exceptional. There are also some other considerations like, you know, who gets to be in front of a camera to be able to have photographs of their food taken and put into a magazine or put into a newspaper, knowing that that is going to come back around to them in some some sort of, of fame or some sort of financial stability. And as we are now seeing, people of color living in America have the most financial precarity of any group of people in this country. Um, so then I started really getting interested in like, this is not just about representation. This is also about locking people out of economic opportunities. And that's a very heavy thing to deal with. Right. So for a sense of context, is this sort of the, I guess, what year-ish would you say this started? This this white guys making Southern food and getting awards for it, like the Sean Brock era? 
I guess. Yes. So I would say I started paying attention to it around 2012, 2013. Um, and then I was in North Carolina for about 11 months. And that's when I that's when I just decided of my own volition. I was like, there's a lot of history that I don't know about my country. And there's obviously a lot of information about the people that I come from that I don't know enough about. So my first foray into like doing research around Black contributions in American cuisine was picking up a copy of Jessica B. Harris's High on the Hog. And mm-hmm. as a matter of fact, a friend of mine, a journalist friend of mine gave that to me. Um, I devoured that book in like two or three days and I was just gobsmacked by how little I understood about black culinary contribution. And after I read that book, I was like, that's that's my beat now. That's what I'm going to do with my camera. And that is what I've dedicated about five years of of food and travel photography towards. So, Oriana, one of the things that I want to think of, uh, that I was thinking about, too, is as a photographer and a writer, just a general overall storyteller, and uh, being a person of color, I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like there might be added weight to the photos you take when you aren't the the writer of the story as well. Like if you go into a an assignment for a publication with the writer, and let's say that um, you know that story is obviously going to have to reflect something about race and identity. Like how does that process work? Because you're you're going to shoot photos that tell a story from your perspective as well. What if that writer goes off and writes something that has, you know, no nuance and is a little bit like, you know, comes off as offensive, might be a little bit racist. And then, and you know, and then that story runs and then your photos are attached to them. Right. And they're like, Oh my God, I can't believe Oriana shot that. As if, as if, as if you, (laughs) as if you worked on, as if you wrote part of the story or something. I don't know. How do you, how do you wrestle with that? So like avoid cancellation by association. Exactly. Oh that's, hey, that, that shit. That shit is dangerous. It that is. shit is dangerous. I got lucky that like there wasn't while I was doing a bulk of this work, our country wasn't running towards fascism. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people had not yet gotten into the habit of of feeling the necessity of weaponizing accountability, mm-hmm. which is what I think um, cancel culture is. On top of that. Um, You know, because I had worked as a wedding photographer in the Midwest, there were certain considerations about race and how I was handling images that I had essentially kind of like baked into my practice. I worked in a niche while I was in Chicago. I was primarily photographing black folks, people in interracial couples and queer folks because no one in Chicago was doing that at the time. So by the time I got to L.A. and was thinking about what I wanted to shoot, I already had that couple of years of research under my belt. Um, you know, I went to to art school and studied documentary photography. But then I also minored in anthropology and women's studies and Japanese. So I, I kind of made sure that my education was going to be able to bolster me in, in tough moments. And I had also made a decision for myself that, Um, it's important for me as a photographer to be informed. So I tend to pitch stories versus letting stories come to me. Mm. And when stories do come to me, I think I've kind of created a reputation for myself that I'm very no nonsense. And I also don't tolerate um, people not doing their work well is it I think is really (laughs) what it is like. We have to I think get to this understanding that if someone is writing a piece that is based on identity of any kind and they take that piece as an opportunity to vilify the people who are a part of that identity that's done on purpose that's Mm -hmm. not an accidental thing 
So because of the way I navigate, I've just been very selective about where I shoot work for. Um, and I try to hold people to task. If someone is pushing me in a direction that feels uncomfortable, I will tell them straight up, no, I'm not doing it. Mm. So for instance, I had a project that I, um, that I shot for the California Sunday magazine. I did about a year's worth of research on an informal food economy that was happening in South Central. There were a ton of black chefs who had figured out that one of the ways they could get a lot of attention for their food and thus have their businesses work was to get on Instagram. And they would do things like, you know, we're making like this certain special dish and you can only get it between the hours of like noon and 5 p.m. Um, and when I took the story to the California Sunday, one of the words that they kept using that really graded me was we want the pictures to be gritty. They need to have some grit. <laughs> wow. That is not the kind of language <laughs> that you use on a piece that primarily um, is focused on the culinary innovation and creativity of black people. Right. And that I had to have that conversation of like, I don't want this to be gritty because that's loaded language. And I kind of understand what you're saying. But also just reminding the publication, like, these are people cooking in informal kitchens. So the grit is already there. I don't need to light it a certain way. I don't need to make certain decisions in camera to make to, to essentially kind of like bathe these people in what is a pretty stereotypical status quo um kind of light what i want is for people to engage with the images and to one see the humanity of the people who i'm photographing but to two also treat these black chefs because that's what they are the way that i would treat any you know like white celebrity chef everyone for me in front of my camera gets the same treatment that's really, really important to me. And I try to let the people that I'm working with know that, like, if something comes up in the text that I'm not pleased about, I'm definitely I'm definitely going to talk about it. I'm mm. either going to talk about it using my own platforms or I will talk about it to you directly. But it's going to get spoken about because I know if I don't say something, that behavior is just going to continue on unquestioned. Right. Yeah. I'm glad you brought it up, too, because that is the piece that introduced me to your work. And yes. it was so important to me to read it and to see it. So, I mean, first of all, thank you. It's awesome. I'm so glad we're finally talking and we're talking about this. Same. But there's so many images from it that will just stick in my head forever, you know, and I just so admire the intimacy of the photography. And now that I know how much you pushed back against the sort of editorial eye, um, I really appreciate what you ended up producing. Thank you. That's still one of the most important pieces to this day that I shot. And I like, for a young photographer, for me, I was like, this, this is it. This is the one I'm going to start to get more work like this. And that's the complete total opposite happened. Oh, see, oh my God. <laughs> so that, that, project introduced me to you too. I had moved to California in 2016 and um, 2017 to me was like a bomb ass year for you or maybe I was just paying attention more. No, it was a good year. Yeah, because you did some yeah. incredible projects. There's another one. Um, it was about like some skater kids in uh, Southern California. Yes, was, the Tropics great. Juice Crew. That one was dope too. So before, before I like go off on a tangent on those, <laughs> I wanted to know 
Um, so my assumption, I'm glad you just talked about the job aspect. My assumption when I saw that was like, holy shit, she should, uh, Oriana should be doing everything everywhere all the time. But you said it didn't turn out that way. And I'm curious if right now, as the country is going through all of the things it's going through right now, are you getting more attention from publications? Are they going back and seeing these amazing projects over the last couple of years? And they're like, hey, maybe we should work together. Is that happening at all? I'm going to keep it a buck 50 with you. It's not. <laughs> it's not at all. I literally yeah. just got invited um, to shoot a book and it's the first project that has come my way this year mm. um, that hasn't been, for lack of a better word, insulting. Mm, the work that has come my way because of the upheavals that have happened in the photo industry and just industries across the country <clears throat> were the jobs that I was getting five years ago when I didn't have a portfolio and no one knew who I was. Mm. And I was very much expecting that to happen this year because 2019 was a doozy in regards to the sort of overt racism I was facing pretty much in every job that I had. There was some kind of an incident that occurred that made me recognize, one, that this administration's pull on this country has been a lot deeper than we would like to admit as a nation. Mm -hmm. Because I've seen an increase in queer phobia on set, racism on set, sexism on set in the last three years in a mm -hmm. way that I had not experienced when I first started working. Oh, wow. And I, I honestly kind of started this year thinking because I, I had to, some of the incidents that I dealt with last year were so egregious, I had to go talk to a vice president or I had to track down an HR person and let them know like the behaviors that occurred on set were not only unprofessional, but literally put myself and my crew at risk mm. and if there's anything I I really pride myself on it's keeping my sets and my crews diverse and making sure that the people who I'm employing are not ever having to deal with bullying from me or from anyone else involved in a project so when the the flood of work started coming because of of the George Floyd uprisings I had been in this place multiple times before in my career Mm. And for me, what I wanted to see was action behind the scenes. I didn't want to see any overt public posturing. And the action behind the scenes wasn't particularly great. I was really concerned with the amount of people who were sending me assignments, but I could tell they had not engaged with any of my work because mm. the subject mm -hmm. matter didn't make any sense. Oh, wow. I had never expressed being interested in doing the sort of work that was coming towards me. It really kind of was a moment where you could tell everyone was in a panic and they were just tossing things at people. <laughs> and right. I like a couple of years ago started an action based arts collective because of this. And then a year later, I started a new photo award. And then, you know, over the last uh, four or five months of this pandemic, I wrote a bill of rights for um for freelance photographers alongside a, a ton of other photographers. Oh, wow. And so I've always tried to find ways to make the industry more equitable, not just for me, but for the younger people who are coming behind me. Because I got very lucky that, you know, when I was a wedding photographer, I had two women of color mentor me. So they really set me up for success because I didn't have anyone telling me that I couldn't do it. I just had people telling me, I was talented enough. I was smart enough. I was kind enough. And if I kept pushing that, the work would happen. Um, and, it, you know, I'm not going to discount that it, it hasn't happened. The work has happened. But I the way that I've had to navigate the industry has been fatiguing, for lack of a better word, because I'm not just showing up and making pictures. 
I'm also doing behind the scenes work that a lot of my photo editors should be doing Mm. and a lot of other decision makers should be doing. But because they don't do it and I need to be able to make a living, I just take it upon myself to do whatever I can to just make it a little bit easier for the people who are coming behind me. Right. And it just seems clear, right, that people see you and they see a black non-binary photojournalist and they think, okay, that's the representation we want. They don't really think beyond that to the work you actually want to do. (laughs) I I understand. I get it. Awful. Um, (laughs) But I guess then I would love for you to elaborate on, you know, for listeners who maybe aren't even used to engaging with food photography beyond just looking at something that looks tasty. Mm -hmm. Um, Just what does it feel like? What does it look like? How do you tell that like a photographer has that kind of engagement with the work and, Mm. you know, what does, I don't want to say like, what does diversity add to food photography? That's not the question, but it's more like, what will the difference be? Like, how do you feel it? How do you know it? How do you recognize Mm. it? I'm really interested um, in the approaches that artists take behind the camera, away from the camera, that then bolsters what they're able to do in camera. So, like, it's a pretty basic thing for me. Like, I need to know how to light in literally any situation, because oftentimes I'm being employed by newspapers and they're just they're sending me places. They don't get to location scout. I don't get to location scout. Um, So, you know, technically the work has to be up to snuff because we're just you're in a hot kitchen, you're in someone's living room, uh, you don't have a prop stylist, so you need to know how to style you, you know, you're fighting against there being too much light at a certain point of the day, but this is the only time that the chef is able to to have you come in and make pictures. So a lot of it for me is kind of like, do you have the skills and the understanding that a majority of this work is kind of done in a guerrilla filmmaking sort of way, where you like pick up what you have, you get to a spot, um, you interact with the people around you, you talk to them, you ask them their opinion, and then kind of figure out from there, okay, what is the story that I'm trying to to elaborate upon or to, to tell people about through the images. I always see my images as supplementary to the text that they're accompanying. So in that way, I'm always looking for like, who's making the pictures that are giving me more information, even outside of the the text that the images are accompanying. And I think that takes a level of rigorousness um, and a level of general sensitivity that honestly has to be practiced outside of the camera. You're listening to the Extra Spicy Podcast. We'll be right back after the break. You can support this podcast and the newsroom that creates it by subscribing to the San Francisco Chronicle at sfchronicle.com pod. I'm Solejo, and we're back with food photographer Oriana Koren. I also think that when it comes to talking about food, the thing that people of color bring as a perspective for me, again, is that food is a means of sustenance, that it means something important when someone is willing to take the time to feed you a meal, that that is not something to be taken for granted, because in all cultures, being fed is a gesture of love and it's a gesture of acceptance. And I think that a lot of us have to fight to get even the, you know, the handful of assignments we get per month or per year. So that kind of hunger of wanting to prove yourself tends to tends to make us push, uh, push ourselves a little bit harder which then means the client is getting work that is just that much more informed and that much more cared after. One of the things that has really kind of confounded me about 
my colleagues, especially my white colleagues, when it comes to any kind of photographic work, but especially food work, a lot of it is based off of the technicality. How can I get my images to look like what's already in the magazines? What does my crew look like? Um, you know, what kind of gear do I have? I don't very often get to have these like robust, intimate conversations with the white food photographers that I know, primarily because they're just not thinking about all of the other stuff that comes with making food photographs. And that I blame directly on the shoulders of the industry. We've made the work of image making something where if you can figure out the technicals to it, or if you can hire the people who are technically astute, you don't really have to know much about your subject. You don't have to care too much about the genre you're, you're working in. A lot of this work is very transactional. And I think it's it's becoming increasingly more obvious who is working from a deep place of wanting to connect with other human beings and share their stories versus who is a technician and is just working out of a transactional matter. So you walked into this industry thinking it was a meritocracy. Yep. And would you say that now? It's a meritocracy if you're a white person. But if you're a person of color, there's no amount of merit that is going to get your colleagues, decision makers, editors to treat you with basic human decency and respect. You are constantly forced to prove yourself over and over and over and over again to the point where it is it it becomes emotionally unsustainable to do this work with the sorts of things that people pull and the, the sorts of ways that they treat you behind the scenes knowing that they are going to get away with it. And that's why this behavior persists. It's because it, when you speak up, you have to deal with reprisal. If you don't speak up, you're dealing with abuse. But either way, whether you're speaking up or not, you're still being abused. Like that's essentially... Uh, kind of the social contract of being a photographer of color, it really shouldn't be that way. I know that, um, you know, there are obviously really enjoyable moments in all of this. And sometimes when we talk about our professions as, you know, uh, people of color, like it's very easy to talk about the work that we've done to break down certain barrier barriers and stereotypes. But can you explain why it's important to see more of them in this business and the benefits that it could have? It's important for lots of reasons, but the primary thing that I keep coming back to, especially um, in this, this very interesting moment in time, this kind of terrifying, honestly, moment in time is I'm never going to let someone take away from me the fact that I am also a human being. I am a human being. I am someone who lives in a country that tells me that I'm free. I went to college to educate myself. I've done a lot of work to learn about not only my industry, but the art in which I work. You know, I, I have learned a lot about photographic history and photographic theory. And I recognize that in a place, in a country where a majority of the information that you're consuming on a regular basis comes from images, images then have power to shape how we view and how we participate in our society. Mm. And we kind of already know that this has not been a very kind society to people of color. So it is important for us to be in these positions where we can insert our own understanding of what it means to navigate this world visually. That is of the absolute importance. And then I think more broadly about some of the older Black elders that I've met in the industry who grew up in a very different time 
and had to navigate very different challenges, but somehow see themselves as separate from the younger or mid-career talent that they've inspired <laughs> to move into these spaces. So I also think about the fact of like, this is hard. It's hard not because photography is hard. It's not hard because food is hard. It's hard because working with other human beings is difficult, mm -hmm. period. There's not going to be any like perfect way to work with another human being. But for me, it's important that people are willing to learn how to be more human and how to show up and provide a sense of dignity and respect for everyone that they encounter. And in a very strange way, my presence in lots of spaces causes people to do that work, whether they want to or not. Mm. So it's important for me to show up in my full self as a non-binary Black person who has Haitian ancestry and whose, you know, parts of, of their family had to flee Jim Crow violence and repression. That is all what I bring into a space. It's the lived experience that I have had in my own human walk. And that paints how I'm able to do my work. Um, and I recognize furthermore, it also paints how other people are able to navigate the world around them. You know, we live in a culture that has practiced segregation. <laughs> um, so for me, knowing what other Black people have gone through, the things that they've had to navigate that I could never imagine navigating, I also feel like I owe it to them to show up in these spaces um, and to stand up and to be who I am. And I think we all kind of owe that to them. I like, I can talk the big shit that I talk because there were Black people and Black women who made sacrifices that I could not ever imagine having to make just to hold a camera. So right you nice. need to be in that space because mm -hmm. of that. And I don't ever take that for granted. Thank you for that. And I guess we have time for one last super quick question. Yes. But I'm very curious about this. What is your dream project? I got hired for it this year. Oh, shit. <laughs> Tell us about nice. it. Tell us about yeah, it. And awesome. I can talk about it, which is even better. So um, I got invited to photograph Bryant Terry's next cookbook, which is called <gasps> nice. Black Food. Nice. It'll, it'll be out uh, fall 2021. And it's my dream project for a couple of reasons. One, it is the fruition of the six plus years of research that I've done about African and Black contribution to American foodways and American cuisine all in one book, which is insane. Um, I never thought I would see the day that something like that would happen. But also it's a dream project because Bryant is one of the people who has carved a path for me to follow. I've always been a deep admirer of his work because he's such a thoughtful human being and such a kind person. Bryant trusts me fully. And that's not something that Black artists get. To be able to show up on set and know that I don't have to prove to Bryant why, why I'm there then means that I get to really crack into my creativity and make some really incredible images for that book and for him. Nice. So I'm really excited to have this moment where I can essentially like unleash everything that I've learned over the last six years, but also unleash the very best of me, the, the, the things that make my images my images that I kind of have to like sprinkle in here and there. I get to just do that full force. And it's such a dream to be supported in that way um, and to be working with such a deeply collaborative, deeply human team. I'm really honored. I cannot wait. That's so rad. Yeah, that sounds awesome. So, Oriana, say the name of the book again because we were yelling. 
<laughs> it's called Black Food. Awesome. And if people are looking for your work, where can they find it? Best place to find it is on my website, and that's www.orianacorin.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. So this great. Was a dream. Thank you so, so much. I, I'm just floored. Thank you. So that was our interview with Oriana Karen, editorial photographer. One of the things that I realized, actually, from working at The Chronicle, at, you know, at a newspaper, is that working with photographers is really difficult. Not to say that photographers are difficult. Please don't cancel me. <laughs> it's more just... <laughs> It's more just articulating what I want in a picture is really hard. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that it's hard to figure out what you take away from each journalism stop that you have in your career. Or at least like, you know, for me. But I know working at small papers, like if you were a weekend reporter, you would get paired up with the paper's photographer. And you guys would go to like, you know, this is down south. So it's like a a pie bacon contest or something like that <laughs> and you know you cover it and talk to the winner and you know interview some kids or something like that and the interesting thing was like you, you kind of fed off of each other you knew what you were going into but the story is amplified by the photos the photos are amplified by the story so you want to find things that kind of like that both of you are vibing on and I think that early that low stakes introduction at smaller papers kind of um you know helped me here because we got some i mean this is like a different level like we have some really phenomenal photographers in this business that's true yeah and i always feel so bad because these are folks who who go into wildfires right. right they go into hospitals the front lines to take these amazing editorial photos and then here i am asking for <laughs> no, cheese pole photos i know and saying like can you just pour the chili oil on the dumpling and like get some like instagram ready shots i know <laughs> so silly <laughs> i'm sure they appreciate it though yeah, fairly chill true. i don't think they get to eat the food though unfortunately nah damn that's tough what a tough word why is everything so unfair give me that orb <laughs> see i'm telling you it's healing. All orbs aside, that's all we have for today's episode. Thanks again to Orb Oriana Karen for being in conversation with us. And if you liked this episode, please give it a rating on Apple Podcasts. Four plus only, please. If you don't like it, go away. Yes, our value is based on how you feel about us. And remember to send us any questions or voice memos you may have about food, life, or anything else for our Dear Spicy Advice segment at extraspicy at sfchronicle.com. Thanks for listening. Extra Spicy is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Erica Carlos is the producer of the show. If you like the Extra Spicy Podcast, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find me, Soleil on Twitter at H-O-O-L-E-I-L. And me, Justin Phillips, at Just Mr. Phillips. You can support Extra Spicy and great journalism by signing up for a San Francisco Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod. 